Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Cinematic Universe, the podcast that's all about comic book movies, which you can find at cinematicmultiverse.com. I'm your host, Joe Cunningham, and I'm bringing you, well, I would normally say at this point, a truncated version of the show to help bridge the gap between two episodes, but it's been so long since I've been actually here recording live um, that this is not going to be a mini-episode. This is going to be our first ever mega-sode, um, so I have a whole bunch of news to catch up on. I have four comic book recommendations to get through. Um, so we've got recommendations from both our Suicide Squad and um, Batman Returns episode. So we've got Batman on Halloween, Batman on Quinn, um, the Joker original graphic novel, and also the first volume of Catwoman. So it's going to be a little bit more freeform than it usually is. Um, Usually I have a bit of a script for the news, but I thought rather than just going through the news and figuring out what Seven James had talked about and what I'd talked about before I left or um, stuff that I'd missed or stuff that's broken in the past two weeks since Seven James did that news special, because I, I, I normally have a script and kind of stick to it usually for the news bits and then go freeform for the comic review, um, I've just bullet pointed a load of news items and I'm going to go through them and go, huh, that's the thing that happened. Is that interesting enough to talk about? Let's see. Do I have opinions on this thing? Maybe, maybe not. Um, and then because there's four comic books, we'll uh, we'll see how long the podcast has gone by that point and uh, see how in-depth to get. And also because I've read them all over the p- course of the past four, five, six weeks even, um, I might be recollecting them with uh, varying degrees of detail. But yeah, so um, I am back. I am now married. I have had a very enjoyable honeymoon and... Um, yeah, we are going to be back into a regular rotation with Cinematic Universe moving forward, um, starting next week with our Nick Fury Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. episode, which um, I watched before the honeymoon, um, and um, I've been dying to talk about for a long, long time now. We were originally going to pre-record it, but we just couldn't fit it in in the end. So um, that is coming up next week. Um, But for now, let's take a look at some of the comic book movie news that has broken over the past month, two months, who knows? Um, Okay, so we'll start off with the DC movies. Um, Seven James talked about this on the news special the other week, um, but there was a a tease that Deathstroke was going to be coming up in a forthcoming DC movie. Now, Deathstroke is a character that I'm familiar with from Arrow, uh, where he was played by Manu Bennett, um, and um, I think that was probably, as far as I was concerned, um, Arrow's strongest season and strongest villain. I know there's kind of a little bit of... um, I think Deadpool was slightly inspired by Deathstroke. Um, He's known as Deathstroke the Terminator in the comics. All I know is he was a villain that I quite liked on TV. Um, And... The rumour is that he's going to be the main antagonist of a solo Batman movie, 
But the fact that he's showing up in test footage now, um, I wouldn't be surprised if he is showing up in Justice League in some form or another, whether that's just like a little teaser here or a post-credit sting or something like that. But the rumours were that Joe Mangianello, um, who I think is best known for True Blood, I probably know him best from the um, Magic Mike movies, um, but he was rumoured to be um, in line for the role, and he has in fact got it. And um, I quite like that, because he um, is someone who seems similar to Manu Bennett. Um, he's got a similar kind of look to him, and if the movies are going to go with that kind of vibe for the character that they went with on the on the TV, um, then that will be great. So um, I, I think this is uh, this is kind of exciting. If um, if the DC movies can get their act together at some point and actually put out a good one. Speaking of which, um, the Flash movie has cast Billy Crudup as the Flash's dad, which is obviously the role that John Wesley Shipp plays on TV. Um, now, I think I can say fairly confidently that Billy Crudup is a better actor than John Wesley Shipp, and uh, he kind of looks like he could be Ezra Miller's dad, so um, I'm totally on board for that casting. Um, it is slightly concerning that this is another Watchmen alum showing up in the DC movie universe. I think Carly Gugino has done some uh, voice performances and obviously Jeffrey Dean Morgan was in the uh, Batman v Superman um, as uh, Bruce Wayne's dad. Um, so who knows, maybe they're bedding in there the possibility to do their own version of Rebirth. You know, they're, they're just sticking all the Watchmen characters in there, here, there and everywhere. And we'll find out that this DC movie universe is you know, something's gone wrong and they learn all the wrong lessons from the superhero boom in the mid-2000s and we can blame Watchmen all over again. <laughs> um, we also found out a long time ago now that there is going to be a Man of Steel sequel. I actually think that's probably, as much as I um, question Man of Steel, I think that's probably a good thing if they are going to move towards a more traditional version of Superman. It would be nice to see that traditional version of Superman played by an actor who is getting that character largely right in terms of his performance, if not necessarily the the material he's been given. But I, I could be interested in a Man of Steel sequel that does a Superman story that ideally is not directed by Zack Snyder. Um, but yeah, I think what this DC universe does need is a solo Batman movie and a solo Superman movie um, around all of the other stuff. Finally, it seems like DC is figuring out that their main characters should be getting their own movies. There is a rumour that Cyborg could be um, appearing in The Flash and that that movie is going to have the rogues as villains, which, as far as I can see, it sounds like that's The Flash's version of The Sinister Six and the current rumours are that characters, including Golden Glider and Captain Cold, who are characters that have appeared on the TV show, that they could be amongst the rogues for that movie. Jared Leto has not been responding positively to Suicide Squad. Um, he seems like he was upset that he had a lot of cut scenes. Um, he said that he hadn't seen the film, but he felt disappointed and tricked, according to some people that were in the audience of one of his shows. Um, whether that's true or not remains to be seen, but it hasn't. It doesn't seem like there was any massive protestations from Jared Leto, and I do wonder whether that could be one and done for him in the DC movie universe, um, and I would imagine that would probably mean recasting that character. Shia LaBeouf was also going to be in Suicide Squad, apparently, if uh, David Ayer had got his way. Um, he was going to be playing the Scott Eastwood role, but it was vetoed by the studio. Um, I think probably wisely, although, you know, could you have done anything to that movie to make it worse? And... Uh, 
you know, Shia LaBeouf is certainly an interesting screen presence, if not always a good one. Um, I think he's got talent, and um, I've seen him do good stuff. Um, it's just he's just obviously gone off the deep end in the last few years. But yeah, he would have been playing the Scott Eastwood role, and it was probably more interesting what he had to say around it, which was that basically um, that that was going to be a much bigger role in the movie, and so was the flag role. Um, and uh, that was before Will Smith came on board, and that was when Tom Hardy was still in line to play the Joel Kinnaman role. Um, and that the movie changed a lot after Will Smith came on board and it essentially became a Deadshot and Harley Quinn movie, um, which I think is fairly apparent from what we saw on the screen. Greg Belanti has been talking about his Booster Gold movie and that will not be a part of the DC Extended Universe. Um, that will be a standalone thing um, if and when it comes to pass, which I find kind of encouraging. Um, I, I don't necessarily see why everything that Marvel and DC produce has to be as part of this shared universe. In fact, I think it would probably be advantageous for Marvel, particularly with some of the TV stuff that they've been doing, to say, hey, no, look, this takes place in its own little corner of the universe and we don't have to worry about this here or this there or fans clamouring for the these characters to show up in the movies at some point, whether they fit well or not. So if Booster Gold is going to be a movie that doesn't necessarily fit with the rest of the DC universe, but they can do something good with it nonetheless... That sounds great. Um, and in fact, it probably wouldn't harm a lot of DC movies not to be part of that universe. And finally, for the DC movies, there are also rumours that Michael Kenneth Williams is in, role, is in line for the role of Black Manta in Aquaman. Um, it seems to have been disputed a little bit by um, James Wan, who's directing Aquaman, but um, he also didn't distance himself from Michael Kenneth Williams. So, I mean, that would be great he's a great actor and um i'd love to see him going head to head with jason momoa and i actually kind of have a little bit of faith in aquaman in that kind of that it's a property that i don't think anyone takes seriously and almost you know it, there's a bit of freedom to do something different and um they they seem like they got they've got some interesting casting and a filmmaker who um who might not be afraid to do something a little bit different with it so aquaman low expectations so why not get excited for it <laughs> Um, okay, we'll move over to the DC TV stuff now, and um, we, we found out that Teddy Sears will eventually be returning to The Flash as Black Flash, which I think um, Seb speculated about back on our Flash episode. We know now that Doctor Alchemy and Savitar are the two big bads of the new season, and that also villains including Mirror Master and The Top will appear during the course of the season. Um, I'm massively excited for the new season of The Flash. I, you know, I'd, I probably won't report on all of the DC TV stuff on this podcast, but I'll constantly be updating about The Flash just because I care about it. So I'm going to talk about it. Um, I can't say that for an awful lot of the other DC stuff. Um, certainly not the likes of Gotham, for example. What I can get excited about, though, is um, Supergirl. And um, we found out that Metallo will be an early Supergirl villain. We've obviously seen all those pictures of Clark Kent. Um, and um, it's um, it's sounding like that four-part crossover that's happening between the DC series that, towards the start of this season will not be about bringing Supergirl into the shared universe with the other three. That there will be some connective tissue but it sounds like almost like a three-part crossover where Supergirl kind of ties into it. Um, so maybe we'll have to wait a little bit longer for that to happen, if it happens at all. A show that is kind of related to Supergirl, but sounds terrible and is somehow still happening, is Krypton. 
uh, we found out that that show, which is um, heading for the Sci-Fi Channel, um, at least in pilot form, uh, will be about two characters called Seg-El and Lighter-Zod, who are Superman's granddad and the daughter of a General Allura-Zod. So, yeah, um, it, it, re it reminds me in concept a little bit of Caprica, which was the Battlestar Galactica um, spin-off, um, but it also sounds massively ill-conceived, and I can only imagine that a show on TV... Um, about Krypton on a TV budget on sci-fi is going to look horrible. Um, I, you know, would happily be proved wrong on that. Um, but the show has cast um, an actress called Georgina Campbell um, in the uh, in the lead female role there. Um, Greg Berlanti, who's behind all of the uh, TV shows um, on the CW, he is developing a Black Lightning show for TV, but not for the CW. Um, and Powerless, which is the DC sitcom, has lost Ben Queen as its showrunner. Um, ben Queen was uh, the guy behind a sitcom called A to Z a couple of years ago. Um, and looks like he has um, some talent, um, but there have been creative differences and he is gone. So that show will have a different showrunner when it debuts in January, I believe. Okay, let's move over to Marvel now, and we'll start with Captain Marvel. Um, Nicole Perlman, who is co-writing the script, um, she also had a hand in the Guardians of the Galaxy script, she says that the uh, movie will be reinventing the origin of Carol Danvers as Captain Marvel in order to avoid some um, rather obvious Green Lantern comparisons. Um, and that seems like a pretty good idea to me. Um, uh, it, when you read it written down, it really does remind you specifically of the um, of the Green Lantern movie, and I think it would be fair for any movie to want to avoid comparisons to that. Um, the director shortlist for that movie, Seven James, mentioned on um, a previous podcast, and um, I think because that's all speculation for now, and because similarly to Seven James, I haven't seen an awful lot of their combined work Um it's probably, I, I probably don't have anything to inter interesting to add there. Where I think I probably do have some interesting stuff to add is um, Spider-Man, because um, because of all sorts of leaked um, uh, cast lists um, and set pictures and stuff, we're beginning to get an idea of who the characters in the movie are. Um, so um, Michael Chernus, who was, um, he plays Piper's brother in Orange is the New Black, if anyone watches that show, he's going to be playing the Tinkerer, um, uh, who is? It sounds like he's kind of like a, the, the tech villain in the in the Marvel universe. So he kind of makes tech for lots of other villains in the comics, um, which would make sense if he is uh, teaming up with Michael Keaton's Vulture. Presumably, will be needing some, um, you know, bionic wings. Um, and also, it sounds like Peter Parker is going to be, um, you know, very into the tech himself in high school, building all his own equipment, and he's going to be teaming up with Tony Stark. Um, so I think we could get quite a fun little, um, you know, like science based, um, or at least a fun science inspired, um, Marvel movie. Um, maybe, maybe think Big Hero 6 vibes, um, which, um, I think tonally would be good. Um, a little bit of a better plot would be nice. Uh, but yeah, um, you know, lead character getting over the death of one of his uh, one of his family figures, um, taking solace in science and taking on a villain who's done the same. That sounds pretty cool. Um, Bokeem Woodbine has been cast as the Shocker, who also has some tech on his wrists. Uh, he is, um, I say he's been cast as a Shocker, he's been photographed on set dressed as the Shocker, so um, I'm not very familiar with that villain. 
I don't know whether he was maybe one of the ones that showed up in Superior Foes. I don't think so, um, but I can't remember. Ned Leeds and Liz Allen are going to be two of um, two of uh, Peter Parker's school friends, um, who I believe have uh, Daily Bugle links once Peter grows up, so that's interesting. We still haven't heard anything of J. Jonah Jameson. Um, Maybe that is something for this film, or maybe it's something they're saving for later down the line if Peter is still in high school. Um, Tony Revolori, as expected, is going to be Flash Thompson, which is pretty cool. Um, and Seven James dug deep into the Zendaya as maybe being Mary Jane Watson. Um, I think probably being Mary Jane Watson. Um, I just hope the movie isn't building to that as a reveal. Um, that, you know, we, we don't find out her name or, you know, MJ's a nickname or something, and it's... It would be nice if it was just, oh, hey, she's Mary Jane and it's no big deal. Angry Rice, or Andrew Rice, I'm not sure. She was in The Nice Guys earlier this year, um, and she has been cast um, reportedly as Betty Brant, um, who is obviously played by Elizabeth Banks in the original trilogy of Spider-Man movies. Um, and we also found out that most of the rest of the adult cast members are playing teachers, um, um, and then most notably, Kenneth Choi is playing the principal. Um, and if that leaked set cast list is to be believed, then he could be playing a descendant of his Howling Commando um, because his principal is apparently called Principal Marita, which was uh, Marita was his uh, surname in the Captain America movies when he was a Howling Commando as well. Um, and finally, uh, we knew Iron Man was in there, but Happy Hogan is returning. Um, uh, John Favreau will be reprising his role in that movie, which... Um, I think it's pretty cool. Um, okay, so that was a lot of Spider-Man. Um, we'll move on to Guardians of the Galaxy. James Gunn says that movie is going to be pretty self-contained um, and that he has an idea for a third film, but he's not sure he'll be back. Um, again, I kind of like that. I kind of like that Guardians of the Galaxy 2 is going to be telling its own story. It's not going to be overly concerned about setting up any Infinity War stuff, even though we know that the Guardians are going to be showing up in that film in some form. Um, and... Besides that, I guess if this is the story that James Gunn wanted to tell, if he feels like he's told his story and he wants to walk away, that's fine. Obviously, I don't think Marvel are going to walk away from Guardians of the Galaxy. So, fingers crossed, James Gunn finds enough inspiration to um, to want to return to the third film because it does feel so very much his movie. And it would be weird to think of another filmmaker who could go in and take over and continue that aesthetic. Um, Michael Peña is returning for Ant-Man and the Wasp, which is, of course, fantastic. He was one of the best things about Ant-Man. Um, we found out some uh, additional Doctor Strange news. Uh, Dan Harmon, who is the uh, writer behind Community and Rick and Morty, and someone who I met on my honeymoon, you guys. I was very excited. He is one of my favourite writers, primarily because of Community. Um, but he has penned some reshoot scenes for Doctor Strange, so it sounds like he added some late humour to the movie for when it went back in front of cameras. Um, maybe that Wi-Fi joke that you saw in the trailers. Who knows? Um, and the Russo brothers have confirmed that Steve Rogers is no longer Captain America in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, that he was symbolically walking away from that role, from that uh, guise at the end of Civil War. And while Steve Rogers will return, for the moment, he is not Captain America. He is just Steve Rogers. OK, we'll move on to Marvel TV news now. And there's actually quite a lot. Uh, we've got our first look at um, Ghost Rider, uh, the Robbie Reyes Ghost Rider in um, in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which still seems uh, strange to me. The advert seems to be billing the series now as Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. colon Ghost Rider. Uh, 
So it sounds like he'll be almost taking over this series, um, which I guess might be an interesting approach for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. to kind of, um, rather than telling their own boring uh, stories that they, for as long as I was watching the show over the first couple of seasons, that's what it seemed like. If they did an Inhuman season last year and now they're doing Ghost Rider and maybe they'll move on to a different one next year, um, kind of be like a different big bad or a different mar corner of the Marvel Universe that the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. venture into each season. Um, that could be interesting, and it could be something that gets me watching. Um, but yeah, Ghost Rider, he's got a cool leather jacket, he's got a big car, and he's got a flaming skull. Looks pretty good for a TV budget. Um, but I guess the proof will be in the pudding when you actually see him in motion over the course of an episode. And I would imagine the Ghost Rider reveals will be kept to a minimum on that show. It will be a lot of him in Robbie Reyes form and not much of him in Ghost Rider form, if I had to guess. Um, Seven James discussed the Runaways TV show for Hulu. Um, I would just like to add to that that I am excited about that show. I don't know the comics, but the fact that it was being made by Josh Schwartz and was going to be probably aimed at like a teenage young adult audience, um, that sounds great to me. I like the stuff that Josh Schwartz has done on TV. And so uh, when Seven James is saying, could be good, not for us, I say, could be good, probably for me. Um, and a new Warriors TV series is in development at ABC with um, Squirrel Girl, reportedly, as the lead character. Now, I've been reading along with the current run of Squirrel Girl, which is fantastic. I think it makes a lot of sense for Squirrel Girl to be brought into uh, live action. This is one of those shows that I think could probably benefit from not being part of the wider cinematic universe for Marvel, um, or wouldn't necessarily have to be, at the very least. Um, but it sounds like it's a sitcom, which sounds perfect to me, um, and um, I guess I don't know a huge amount about the New Warriors concept, apart from their, you know, a team of characters. I read the New Warriors series from Scotty Young, which was building up to Civil War, and that seemed to me like it would be the perfect format almost for a 30 minute sitcom um, in that it's these characters who sign up to a to do a reality TV series where they're kind of like talking to the camera and not being very good at their job. And so it's kind of you could kind of almost do it like mockumentary style. Um, here's these characters making a reality TV show, but they also happen to be low level superheroes and that would give the series the opportunity for Doreen Green, Doreen Squirrel Girl to address the audience directly, which would be great. Um, and I think it could work. Um, and also, if you need to cancel the series abruptly at any point, you could just do the start of Civil War um, event. And that would end the series pretty abruptly at that point. Um, but yeah, this sounds... Um, like, it could be a lot of fun to me, um, Squirrel Girl on TV. What I've got to say, though, is I could not be more frustrated. I don't know whether I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but why people think that Anna Kendrick would be a good fit for Squirrel Girl other than she's short and she's got kind of like a good squirrely look, I guess. Or Barb from Stranger Things, who is a internet meme brought to life, who happens to be an actress who delivered a fairly flat performance over the course of about two or three episodes of a cult TV show. Um, let's let's cast an actress who would fit the Squirrel Girl role. Um, Anna Kendrick tends to play very sarcastic characters, um, and that is the opposite of what you would want from Squirrel Girl. What you'd want from Squirrel Girl is someone who is entirely earnest and enthusiastic about anything. You'd want her to be like a Marvel version of a Gilmore Girls character. Um, so I don't really see either of those casting suggestions as being 
particularly valid. I don't have one of my own. I would suggest probably going for someone young and unknown um, and just really peppy for that role. Um, and not Anna Kendrick or Barb. <sighs> Rant over. <laughs> and I'll finish off the Marvel TV stuff um, with some Netflix stuff, which is um, Iron Fist has teased Lei Kung, the Thunderer, as a villain. Um, I don't know anything about Iron Fist, and I know even less about Lei Kung, the Thunderer. In fact, um, I've never said his name out loud until five seconds ago. Um, so that might mean something to Iron Fist fans. Um, and Luke Cage, Luke Cage is coming soon, and... Um, I'm enjoying the ramp up to that in terms of the hype that is building, the positive reviews that are emerging and the promotional material. Um, I feel like I've been slightly burned by Netflix shows before, um, certainly over the course of 13 episodes. I still don't think Netflix have produced a Marvel show that has been able to keep it up for 13 and they should probably be six to eight hours each, but maybe Luke Cage can be the one that breaks that run. Okay, over to the Fox movies now, and I know this news is carrying on forever, but we're going to keep cracking through. Um, there was an X-Men Apocalypse deleted scene that was released online of Nightcrawler, Jubilee, Jean Grey, and Cyclops going to the mall that was cut from the film and was probably better than anything that made it into the entire film. Um, it was four kids hanging out, having a fun time, um, some fun little character beats. You got to see Jubilee using her powers. Um, it was all set to safety dance, uh, given that it was an 80s movie and there was lots of uh, 80s kitsch in this sequence as well. And it was also really sweet seeing these four characters venture into a little corner of the world that where they were a little bit more accepted. And um, it seemed like a scene that w would have brought... A little bit of shade to the world that Brian Singer was presenting in his movie. It was showing the characters, um, making them a little bit more likeable, identifying them more as kids, um, showing them doing cool stuff. It was funny, it was sweet, and it was the entirely the opposite to everything else that ended up in X-Men Apocalypse. Um, and so, yeah, better than pretty much everything that was in that movie, um, as far as I was concerned. But yeah, uh, a shame that that one didn't make it in. Um, Doug Lyman is off Gambit. Um, Seven James stressed this this week. They um, confidently asserted that they do not think Gambit is ever going to happen. I do think Gambit is going to happen. Um, at the very least, I think we're going to see Channing Tatum as Gambit showing up in other X-Men movies. Um, but I, I just, I believe in the power of Channing Tatum as a box office draw um, and as a charismatic hero. Um, and I think Gambit, in some form or another, will show up on screen. Um, uh, but it's probably not going to be as soon as uh, we had anticipated, uh, because if it was, we'd probably be watching it in cinemas maybe next month, I think. <laughs> um, but Doug Lyman has left to board Justice League Dark, which is um, a DC movie. Again, Seven James addressed this last week and know a whole lot more about that concept than I do. Um, I agree with them slightly more on that one. I'm not convinced it's going to happen. Um, Mr. Sinister has been confirmed as the Wolverine 3 villain. Um, he was teased in the post credit sequence of X-Men Apocalypse. Um, that's now been confirmed, so I think we're going to get lots of, um, lots of futuristic stuff with Wolverine and Mr. Sinister, and probably X-23 in, um, the Wolverine 3, which, um, apparently we're going to start seeing some footage of pretty soon, because that's gone into production. And I think some of the most exciting news we've heard about the X-Men universe recently is, um, that New Mutants is uh, moving forward, and it's a little bit of new news and a little bit of 
confirmation of old news because um, it's been announced um, Josh Boone is directing that movie and the writers of The Fault in Our Stars and The Spectacular Now have been hired um, to uh, rewrite the script. Um, so obviously that will be um, Fault in Our Stars collaborators collaborating again. Um, but The Hollywood Reporter confirmed that the characters in the movie are going to be, or the, the New Mutants team are going to be Mirage, Wolfsbane, Sunspot, Cannonball and Magic, um, and an alien called Warlock. Um, and that chimes with an earlier but disputed HitFix report, which um, pretty much predicted that all of those characters were going to be involved and linked Maisie Williams to the Wolfsbane role and Anya Taylor-Joy to the Magic role. Um, they also predicted or um, said that Professor X and Storm would be appearing in that movie. So it seems like you can uh, look back at that report um, with a little bit more legitimacy now. Um, and it does seem like the new Mutants movie is moving forward. And finally at Fox, um, not in the X-Men universe, but Fox has bought the life rights to Stan Lee to tell a biopic which will actually be an action-adventure movie set in the 1970s about Stan Lee... In the mould of Kingsman and the Roger Moore 007 movies, but that will also show Stanley as a man with an alter ego, um, which sounds pretty nuts. Sounds like a script that you'd probably hear had turned up on the blacklist or something. Um, but yeah, a Stanley biopic that's also a James Bond esque action adventure story. Um, and just to round up some other news that doesn't have anything to do with any of those other universes, um, there is a Lumberjanes movie being developed at Fox, um, so if anyone likes Lumberjanes, that's pretty exciting. Riverdale, which is the Archie series that was coming to TV, um, I was quite looking forward to after reading a little bit of the new Archie comic, um, and then I saw the trailers for Riverdale and heard the concept, which is kind of edgy murder mystery Twin Peaks-esque but in a very kind of like current teeny kind of vibe. It looks awful you guys, it looks really awful and hopefully I'll be proved wrong on this but I don't know, did we need a dark and edgy Archie series? <laughs> Especially at the CW which is doing, finding you know such rich rewards in doing a kind of light and upbeat flash, they're going dark on Archie. <sighs> Toxic Avenger is being remade. Um, Conrad Vernon is directing that. He um, directed or co-directed the animated films uh, Shrek 2, Madagascar 3 and the recent number one movie, Sausage Party. Um, yeah, so he'll be directing, making his live action debut. Um, this were, The rights for this were apparently snapped up a couple of years ago for a family-friendly adaptation of the cult trauma movie uh, where they would be kind of doing a modern take on a green superhero. Um, so, um, I know Conrad Vernon's interesting, Sausage Party is certainly a pretty nuts movie, um, Madagascar 3, I believe that was the kind of crazy out there one of the Madagascar movies, which is probably the, the one that I wouldn't mind re-watching of that franchise, um, and I can't remember Shrek 2, so, uh, yeah, Conrad Vernon doing a Toxic Avenger remake. And finally, I just wanted to finish off by saying The Tick pilot is now on Amazon. I've watched it. I thought it was um, it was solid. It was entertaining. It has a lot of potential. Peter Serafinowicz is great. And there's some um, there's some interesting stuff in there. Um, and I think it's, it's right with potential for doing some rich superhero satire on television. So um, go watch The Tick. If you like it, fill in the Amazon feedback form and... Um, Try and try and encourage them to make it. Um, I would like to see um, a lot more of 
um, the tick. So let's see whether Amazon pick that up. Okay, so that was all for the very freeform news section. Um, that's what I think about all of the news that has broken over the past month or so. So we'll now move on to the comic books that Seb and James recommended over the course of the uh, last couple of podcasts. Um, and we'll start off with um, Brian Azzarello's uh, The Joker, um, art from Lieber Majo. This is an original graphic novel um, about The Joker, which... Uh, James recommended off the back of our Suicide Squad episode. This was the one that I read first, um, so um, a long time ago now. In fact, while I was on the plane on the way over to Los Angeles. Um, and uh, yeah, um, so this is um, a story where the Joker is um, released from Arkham at the, uh, at the start of the comic. Um, it's a very kind of pulpy, browny-grey Gotham uh, is obviously supposed to have um, a kind of noirish crime vibe. Um, I think this came out in 2008, which was just after The Dark Knight came out, but was probably written beforehand. Um, and so visually, the Joker seems to have, uh, have taken a lot of cues from the Heath Ledger version. Um, and it's certainly a dark, gritty version of Gotham, probably even more so than the Christopher Nolan movies. But it's about the Joker kind of uh, getting released from Arkham. But he is he is like a crime lord version of the Joker. He is um, a guy who has lost his um, lost his turf kind of by being sent to Arkham and is coming back out to reclaim it. Um, and the story, I think, in in terms of structure, is quite nicely set up as kind of uh, telling one of those cyclical stories of Batman and the Joker in that the Joker gets out, Batman obviously has lots of stuff to deal with and lots of villains, so he can't and he's not necessarily going to be there immediately to take down the Joker. Um but eventually he is going to get round to him. He is going to sort him out and he's going to send him back to Arkham. Um but he's not you know, he's not going to kill him. He's not going to wipe him off the board. The Joker will be back eventually and um that is that cyclical relationship of these two characters. Um, but mostly because Batman is absent for the bulk of the story, it is, um, it's focused on the Joker, but he's not. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Our protagonist. Our protagonist is kind of like a low-level, um, a low-level mafioso guy uh, called... Bear with me a second. I think that he was uh, a character, Johnny Frost, who I think was uh, like a, a background character in Suicide Squad, actually. Uh, but Johnny Frost is kind of this low-level mafioso who aligns himself to the Joker and is able to rise through the ranks a little bit by hanging on to his coattails, but is kind of terrified by him. And we see the whole story through his uh, through his POV. And I think it's an interesting way to do it. I'm not, I'm not particularly sure it would be it would have been right to do it from the Joker's point of view. Um, I was expecting a little bit more to come of Johnny as a character. Uh, I think ultimately he is there just as a character for us to view the Joker through and a kind of like identifiable lead character to view this kind of really dark version of the world through. But yeah, I, I do wonder whether he sometimes serves as a distraction because ultimately he's not that interesting he is just kind of a disposable goon i guess but yeah so uh, the comic it's I, I liked it to an extent i liked the ideas behind what it was doing i liked the i liked the idea of the joker being a crime lord and of gotham being a i guess not more real world but more you know kind of like a very heightened crime story so we see the joker going to restaurants where mafia guys organized crime guys are sitting eating spaghetti and drinking wine it's kind of sopranos ish um uh but you've also got characters like penguin and killer croc who are and two-face who are major kind of crime factors in this um in this world harley is almost like the joker's gangster's mole in this um real kind of disposable arm candy um I wonder actually a little bit, maybe a little bit like Michelle Pfeiffer in Scarface, um, uh, but with even less attention paid to her. Um, and yeah, um, I, I think I found the story ultimately a little bit underwhelming. Um, I didn't feel like it dug hugely into the psyche of the Joker. I thought it was an interesting, fun, uh, dark version of a world, um, a well-realized world to tell a Joker story in. Um, but maybe not completely to my tastes. Um, um, I, I always find it really interesting when Seven James talk about the Joker that you can, uh, and, or Batman stories in general that you can tell million, you know, you can tell them from millions of different perspectives, and you can have so many different takes, um, and that you know, there's no right or wrong. You can just you can just do all these different kinds of stories, and um, certainly evident reading this breadth of Batman stuff in over the course of the past month and obviously watching Batman Returns and Suicide Squad and I've also been coincidentally watching quite a bit of the Batman animated series so yeah it's it's very evident that you can do this completely different stuff and this works but it's just probably not the not the take on the Joker for me um and despite all the problematic elements I don't think it I, for me, it doesn't stand up there with the Killing Joke as a Joker story. Um, uh, but yeah, it was. I, I thought it was an interesting kind of uh, world that Brian Azzarello creates, and um, and one that rang true to me at the very least. So um, 
so yeah, um, I, I I think I would recommend reading it uh, because um, you know it's certainly it certainly I think achieves what it sets out to do if if not maybe um, entirely for me. Um, we'll move on to something that I I think was that came um, a lot closer on that spectrum. Um, this was the uh, the second of the comics I read. Uh, which I read on the plane to and from Hawaii. I'm just tumble bragging here, you guys. Um, this is Batman The Long Halloween, um, which is from Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale. Um, and this is um, a fairly hefty book compared to uh, the Joker OGN. Um, this is, I think it's, I think it's 12 issues. Um, and this is Batman uh, a lot more squarely at the centre of this story. But also playing into it quite a lot. We've got Commissioner Gord. It's kind of like, it starts off as almost like a, a three-pronged story between um, Batman, Commissioner Gordon, and Two-Face. The, these are the three, um, except he is hardly denser at this point, not Two-Face, but these are the three guys who are primarily going to try and take down the organised crime in Gotham, uh, particularly Carmine Falcone, um, and, uh, but the, the warring crime families in Gotham, and they kind of, say look no matter what the cost we are gonna go we're gonna try and wipe this out um and apparently um this has a foreword from christopher nolan and um i think david goyer in the in the copy that i have let's have a look yeah uh nolan and goyer um and how it was a heavy influence on their um their trilogy um and the the dark knight in particular and it kind of follows through the course of a year of this battle with the crime with the crime family going on, um, and then kind of weaving in other classic Batman villains as they become kind of tangled up in this story um, as it goes along. Um, a lot of it's kind of to do with the corruption of Harvey Dent. His house is blown up, and he's thought dead early on, um, but he manages to survive and and uh, gets more and more involved with. Uh, trying to take down this this crime family, but also we kind of question his psyche because obviously he's Harvey Dent. We know he's going to become Two Face, um, and there are a string of murders going on throughout the course of this story. Um, that as much as taking down the crime family become the focus of this, it is almost a murder mystery. Um, the, each issue is kind of set around a different holiday. Um, so there is, um, it starts off on Halloween um, and goes full circle to the Halloween the next year. Um, we, um, but there are murders of uh, crime family members on each of those days. Um, and so, yeah, we go, we go to Christmas, I think it's a Valentine's Day one. Um, there's there's uh, yeah, New Year's, I'm just flicking through the book to remind myself which. Yeah, Valentine's Day, uh, Mother's Day, um, and and yeah, so there are murders happening all these, and it's as much a murder mystery as it is this kind of noirish crime tale um, of these you know, three seemingly well-meaning men trying to take down the criminals in Gotham, um, almost no matter the price. Um, and so yeah, it's. Um, the, the the murder mystery element is interesting and yes it kind of attracts the attention of characters like Catwoman at some point or uh, Calendar who's um, a Batman villain that I saw pop up um, in the in the new Batman run um, 
the Scarecrow, the Joker comes in because the Joker is jealous that um, there is, you know, someone else out there kind of outdoing him almost. The Riddler is brought in as a consultant to try and figure out who's doing it. Um, Poison Ivy comes in at one point. Um, and what's interesting is that it intersects with Bruce Wayne's life quite a bit as well. Um, and I thought this did a really good job of showing the balance between those two characters um, throughout. Um, in, in a way, I mean, I haven't read a huge amount of Batman comics, certainly not where... I, I think I've read more comics that are kind of like tangentially Batman than they are full-on Batman, but I thought this did as good a job as I can remember a comic doing of showing kind of... Um, Batman and Bruce Wayne throughout the course of it. And it's really propulsive because it has this murder mystery element and because every issue is set around a day and there is kind of like a ticking time bomb element to each issue but also this kind of you know really cool pulpy noir style of Batman actually investigating and Harvey Dent being one of our protagonists but not knowing whether you can trust him and it I, I was surprised by how quickly I was able to get through this um, because it, as I say, it's, it is quite bulky, but it's it's so propulsive and um, the characters are really well realised and yeah, the, just the hook of the comic is a really, really great idea. I think the ultimate, um, the ultimate way that it wraps up is, uh, I think, a little bit too twisty-turny for its own good um, and... I didn't buy it entirely, um, but I think kind of tracking the characters and the story throughout the course of the year all, almost became more interesting than um, than the answer itself. It's almost like you know one a, a horror movie that you're really enjoying and you're really scared, and you kind of know that by the time they show you the monster, it's going to remove all of the kind of the scares from it. But it doesn't matter because you were scared and you were hooked for that first 70, 80 minutes of the movie that, you know, those last 10 minutes aren't going to take those away from you. Um, so, yeah, I, I really enjoyed The Long Halloween. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think um, a lot more than I enjoyed the uh, Brian Azzarello Joker. But I'll move on now to um, another James recommendation, which was um, the... Um, Batman Harley Quinn collection. Um, now, this James did mention that he was recommending because I had already read um, Mad Love. Um, and so what I thought I would do is be actually to kind of talk about them both together a little bit because um, Mad Love is a whole lot better, you guys. It's, in fact, it's so much better. Um, so I'll start off by talking about Mad Love. I have got the collection Mad Love and other stories from Paul Dini and Bruce Timm. Um, and then the Batman Harley Quinn, um, Paul Dini is the main name on the front, but you've also got Yvel Yuche, Aaron Sao, Don Kramer, Wayne Foucher, Joe Canones, uh, Neil Gouge, um, and that collects um, Batman Harley Quinn issue one, um, I think backup strips from Batman Gotham Knights 14 and 30, um, some detective comic stuff, uh, Joker's Asylum 2, Harley Quinn, Batman Black and White 1 and 3, Legends of the Dark Knight 100 page, Super Spectacular number 1, and Detective Comics 23.2. So um, that is my way of saying it's a little bit of a smorgasbord, the um, Batman Harley Quinn one, and that's the one, yes, with the iconic Alex Ross art on the cover. Whereas Mad Love and Other Stories... Um, is a lot more consistent. Um, it's all kind of Batman the Animated Series inspired stuff. It's all from Bruce Timm and Paul Dini um, and it's basically uh, one 
big um, st- well adaptation of Mad Love right at the start, which is the um, the you know the episode of the animated ser- series which showed Harley's origin. It's it's really really great. Um, the art is uh, gorgeous. It's in that animated series style, um, but I think it works even better on the page. It's just it's a lot cleaner and um, the stills are fantastic. They have that animated kind of kin- kineticism to them, but they are um, you know just beautiful little still frames. And um, that for me is when I, when I think of what the Batman Harley Quinn relationship is. This is the comic that I think of. It's um, it's Mad Love, um, and yeah, the, I, I just really, really love that. And that leads into the rest of the comic, kind of like a collection of short stories which um, don't always feature Harley Quinn. In fact, I'm not sure how many of them do, but there's just um, there's just a lot of good um, Batman animated series inspired stuff, all in that same art style. Um, Lots of Joker, there's some Catwoman, there's some Clayface, um, uh, Ra's al Ghul, and yeah, all in the style of the animated series. And um, yeah, it's just a really fun read. Mad Love is the appeal in that collection, but I think if you if you pick it up, it's worth reading the whole thing. Um, so yeah, I thought I would preface that uh, the Holly Quinn stuff with that. Um, just because for me that is the that's the better Harley Quinn stuff. Um, although there is some good stuff um, in this Harley Quinn collection, it's just a little bit more varied. Um, so we start off with a couple of stories, which are um, uh, they are uh, Harley and Poison Ivy stories, which that was particularly fun seeing those characters interacting. Um, and I thought it was interesting. It was kind of um, an, another version of Harley's origin in here, uh, which is she's kind of telling the story in flashback to Poison Ivy, but then the story catches up. Um, um, and we see her kind of going off and trying on some different outfits so she can kind of become the Joker's um, sidekick. He doesn't know that she's going to be, so he just turns up and kind of becomes her sidekick. And he kind of plays along with it um, when she's proving herself useful, but eventually turns on her and tries to kill her. And so she decides that she's going to go back and take revenge. And it ends up in this really fun three-way fight between Batman and um, Harley and the Joker kind of all chasing each other around with all of them wanting to kind of inflict pain on all of the others. Um, and so, yeah, that that was um, quite enjoyable. It, it, I don't think it has quite the gorgeous artistry that the Mad Love story does, but um, that was still um, a bit of a standout here. What is fun is that the next story, um, which is called The Bet, um, which is back in that animated series mold, so I think uh, probably Paul Dini and Bruce Timm, um, it, um, it's again Poison Ivy and Harley, but they are in Arkham, and they're having a bet that if they unlock all the cells... Um, well, Harley bets um, Poison Ivy that she won't be able to get a kiss from everyone else in um, Arkham. <laughs> Ivy, because she is able to use her plant pheromones, um, is able to attract every guard and every inmate over to her. Um, and then the Joker gets brought back to Arkham by Batman after he's been caught. And um, Ivy loses. Uh, Ivy wins the bet by kind of... Uh, <laughs> getting um, Harley to call off the bet so she won't kiss the Joker. Um, it's really fun banter between Ivy and Harley, but it's also a sweet little look at the Joker and Harley relationship at the same time. 
Um, so, yeah. Um, after that, there's a fun little short story with Ivy that lasts a couple of pages. Um, there is a not particularly great story where she's outside of Arkham and uh, comes up against a different character that um, the Scarface puppet has attached itself to. Um, there is a not particularly great couple of stories with the Riddler where um, they're from kind of his perspective as a um, as a private investigator where he the story he's investigating ends up involving Harley um, and yeah I thought they were kind of bland and forgettable um, but then the for me what was definitely the the worst thing um, in the comics oh there is there sorry there is another short story before there um, uh, again quite a nice little sweet one with Harley um, escaping from Arkham a couple of days before she's due to be released and going on a rampage just so she can spend Valentine's Day with the Joker um, which is um, which is quite good. Um, in fact, there's still loads of other stories as I'm flicking through this that I'd forgotten about, actually. <laughs> so I was reading along, there's a story with um, Poison Ivy where she unleashes something on the city. That that always seems to me like a fun relationship. This was the weakest of the of the Ivy and um, Harley stories in the book, but it, it was uh, still solid. Um, there was the backup strips from Batman Black and White, which are okay. Um, and... Um, there's a story where Ivy and Batman um, are psychoanalyzing each other, where they both think they're kind of um, stalling the other character. And actually, reading back through this, there's, a, there's an awful lot more of this collection that I liked and I disliked um, when I remember it I, um, than I had actually remembered. I think what soured me most on it was the very last story, which um, is introduced with Harley in her new post-New 52 costume, which is... Um, horrendous. Uh, she is in a barely containing herself corset with enormous bosoms heaving out, um, a lot of skin on show, um, and uh, the costume is in this issue, it's kind of shown how she assembled it in, and in, so I, yeah, I believe this is in the New 52, and there are flashbacks to kind of Harley and the Joker, um, getting together in the first place and it is um probably the least inspiring version of this story that you can read across the across the two collections here um and probably the one that most resembles the suicide squad version um and then we see her kind of going around the city stealing her uh, short shorts by beating up some teenagers, um, stealing her knee-length socks, um, in fact her shorts are stolen for a runner. All these people in Gotham who happen to be wearing red and blue split uh, clothing items that match Harley's hair and that she can then dress up in very skimpily and go impress the Joker. Um, and yeah, it's a horrible look for the character, it's uh, not very entertaining story and I think I spent so much time reading this with a raised eyebrow that it soured me on the rest of a collection which looking back um, is a lot more enjoyable than I remember. Um, I still think my favourite Harley story is uh, the Mad Love one but there is there's lots of good stuff in here um, and so yeah I would still say recommend if you are into Harley Quinn in any way because there is a there's um, a lot of good stuff over those two collections. And if you're into Batman the Animated Series particularly, pick up Mad Love um, and other stories because um, that style in comics form is just as, if not more, delightful than it is on the, <laughs> um, on the screen.
Um, and we'll finish things off with um, Catwoman, uh, Trail of the Catwoman, Volume 1, from Darwin Cook and Ed Brubaker. And um, this is big. There's, there is a lot in this first collection. So there is um, um, an original graphic novel which was written by Darwin Cook, which is called Selena's Big Score. Um, there are some backup strips from Detective Comics, which get the impression might have been written before that graphic novel that kind of fill in the gaps of that graphic novel from the point of view of a character called Slam Bradley um, who is a private investigator and then there are issues one to nine of Catwoman which I believe are written by Ed Brubaker but drawn by Darwin Cook and um, those issues uh, not all of them but Slam Bradley comes into play in that as well so that's the connective tissue so I think it's kind of like um, there is one big story, you then find, you then revisit that big story from the perspective of another character, then you've got the story of Catwoman kind of beginning in earnest in uh, a week, in a monthly comics format. Um, so we start off with Catwoman, Selena's Big Score, which is the graphic novel and um, is absolutely gorgeous. Um, so it's written by Darwin Cook and it says cover and art by Darwin Cook with Matt Hollingsworth. And yeah, this is just a beautiful, beautiful comic. Um, I uh, I don't think I've read any Darwin Cook before, um, and I don't know whether I don't know whether this was um, how much Darwin Cook had had done the art inside this, and which is more indicative of his style, or in fact, kind of what order these were produced in, which is the earlier work. But this graphic novel just looks gorgeous. I just loved I loved the artwork through it. Um, start to finish. Um, I love the look of Selena, the the way that the eyebrows and eyes are drawn um, to, you know, show these kind of like, uh, to show the expressions of the characters is fantastic. Um, and that was really what stuck with me most um, about, about the, the, about the graphic novel portion of Catwoman. Um, it kind of goes through a heist story uh, from the perspective of different characters so we start off with um, Selena Catwoman and then we meet um, an old contact of hers called Stark um, who she has um, fallen out with at a point in the past but needs his help to pull off this big job they're going to be stealing some diamonds from a train so it, it really is kind of like an old school heist um, and flips between uh, being in Gotham and not and to kind of like places like Miami and out in the desert where this train is going to be going through and um, uh, kind of watery lakey areas and inside map and it just it, the way that you kind of just the light and dark of a page uh, depending on whether you're in Gotham or whether you're not um, it does a really good job of um, yeah establishing the location throughout and um, the tone of what's going on on the page is telegraphed so well just through the colours really um, yeah, so after we've met Stark, we then meet Slam Bradley, who's going to be the character who comes back into things and is the focus of the short stories. Um, and we see how kind of their narratives, um, are all weaving together, but in a, in a kind of a fairly, in a fairly linear fashion, there's flashbacks and there's characters telling each other about stuff that's happened in the past, but mostly the story is linear and it just hops from one perspective to the next. Um, and then we see their heist come together and it, and it goes pretty badly. Um, 
Um, and it's it's a, I think a really nice introductory story for Catwoman because you kind of see the various shades of grey in this character. You get a bit of a sense of the backstory of her um, within the DC universe up until that point. Um, and I think you kind of see her as an ultimately heroic character, but one with a troubled past and one with... Um, you know, there's there's a reason why she is uh, more anti-hero than hero, but there's also a reason why Batman um, routinely kind of wants to help her out and wants to see the, the best of her, um, even though she kind of, she even when she wants to do good things, she kind of has more uh, nefarious methods behind it. So her motivation behind this heist is um, helping out this young woman who's find herself entangled in... Uh, the uh, Falcone crime family in Gotham, uh, but you know, ultimately she is still carrying out a big heist for diamonds. And that's another fun thing is that Catwoman isn't just vigilante; she is she is a cat burglar, and that's kind of that kind of underpins everything that she does throughout all of these stories. Um, the Slam Bradley backup stories come next, um, and I think that they were the least interesting aspects of all of this. Um, Probably because they are filling in the gaps of stuff that you'd assumed throughout the first story. Um, and actually, between the characters of Slam Bradley and Stark in the first um, OGN, I actually, uh, in, the, in the graphic novel section, I probably preferred Stark and found that uh, relationship with Selina more interesting than the one between her and Slam. Um, so yeah, I, I, I kind of like trudge through those a little bit compared to the rest of the stuff. Um, but then once we get into the um, Catwoman comics um, uh, in earnest, um, I was uh, totally back on board. Um, so yeah, I think at this stage we are seeing everything uh, written by Brubaker and drawn by Darwin Cook and Mike Allred, I think. Um, yeah, and Matt Hollingsworth is still on board as colorist. Um, and so there are kind of there are three stories here collected, nine issues. Um, there is Anodyne, which is um, a four-part story um, about Selina kind of coming back to Gotham. So I, I kind of I assume after the events of the graphic novel, re-establishing her base of operations, kind of struggling with who she is identity-wise, deciding to becoming to become Catwoman in Gotham again kind of rubbing up against Batman um, a little bit, but it's it's in, it's interesting how little he factors into events. Um, Selina kind of um, establishes herself in the east end of Gotham, which the comic does a good job of kind of saying it's very low on Batman's list of priorities, that it's, it's not really Batman's out there fighting costumed villains here, there and everywhere, whereas the kind of the run-of-the-mill drug dealers or the people that's, the, you know, the bloke that's murdering a prostitute on a street corner, that they might not be particularly high on Batman's list of priorities and that it, you need to, you need someone like Selina in this corner of the city sticking up for uh, the little people. Um, and um, it does it does a fantastic job at that. I think there are some times reading these other comics, I mean, there were times in The Joker where I was like, okay, well, why is Batman taking so long to show up? Why hasn't he done anything yet while The Joker is skinning someone alive in a bar or shooting up a different crime family or the, you know, this or that? And Batman does eventually turn up, but it, you're asking questions to why he hasn't turned up earlier. In this, it's kind of like it, the comic just... it. 
it does a good job of establishing a corner of Gotham where you wouldn't expect Batman to be and Selina to be to be doing the grunt work. Um, and so the first the first arc of four issues are about a man who is murdering prostitutes and um, Selina investigating him. Um, so again, lots of detective work, but her detective work usually involves kind of surreptitiously breaking into places and taking evidence and manufacturing stuff rather than being the Batman kind of detective. Um, and she is not afraid of hurting people um, or uh, being less than legal in her means. Um, and it's it's kind of, a, it's, it's dark and it's grim in, um, um, but not in the kind of way that put me off, I think, about Azarello's Joker. That was a really kind of gnarly, dark and grim, whereas this is, it feels like a pulpy crime story. Um, it's it's interesting how all of these Batman comics that I've been talking about, aside from the Harley Quinn stuff, have these kind of noirish crime elements, but they all feel like they have it in a different way. They've they've all taken a different approach. So yeah, the the Joker is it really is bloody and and nasty and gnarly, and the Long Halloween feels like a kind of like a, a real. A, a page turning turning crime thriller but not in a kind of uh in a gritty or uh unpleasant way but almost kind of like in a in a murder mystery novel kind of way uh whereas the catwoman comics feel like um kind of like an old crime uh an old film noir crime movie um it's not like a double indemnity kind of thing almost um yeah um I, I don't know whether I'm explaining that very well, but um, I really did um, enjoy this Catwoman stuff, and that first arc is really good. We then pause for one issue and tell a single one-issue story, uh, which I think might be the strongest one of the lot about um, Catwoman investigating after a young boy from the neighbourhood um, has been smuggling drugs in um, into the country um, in his stomach um, and the bag bursts. So it, that's what I mean about it being kind of grim, but it has a, it has a it's able to present it in a way that feels less unpleasant, but no less kind of um, you feel the impact of the events. And this is the part of the story where Slam Bradley first comes back into events, um, and uh, we get a sense of the kind of the 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 bad guys stacking on top of other bad guys that Selina is drawing the attention of um, and who she'll be coming up against um, as this uh, as, as the comic progresses. And uh, then the third arc, um, which is again for issue, which is called Disguises, is from the perspective of Holly, who is the uh, girl who lives with Catwoman, an old friend. Uh, or at least it starts off from her perspective um, until she finds herself in trouble and then Catwoman gets involved and it has to do with the murder of police officers and there was a lot of police corruption across the course of these stories and Catwoman teaming up with Slam Bradley again to kind of keep Holly safe because Holly then gets framed for the murder of a cop even after she's been shot by a cop herself. Um, and Catwoman, we found out, is kind of she's more interested in saving Holly than taking down any of the the bent police officers or or doing the right thing per se. She's set off with a singular mission at the start of this, and she's not going to compromise that for um, any other you know any other good that she can be doing throughout this. Um, and so yeah, that's what that's why she seems like a, a great morally complex character. Um, Slam is um, a good character for her to bounce off of. Um, 
um, as a private investigator. Like I say, not quite as interesting to me as Stark, but um, I guess that relationship could uh, develop more throughout the future volumes. Um, and yeah, it was really it was really interesting to see as this as this story went on how Selina was ruffling the feathers of the wrong kind of people in this corner of Gotham, and that the stakes feel suitably high because. Batman doesn't feel like he's around every corner in this story and he doesn't feel like he's about to jump in and help out at any stage because he has bigger fish to fry and this is uh, this is the corner of the city that doesn't tend to concern him. So, um, yeah, I think probably, all in all, this was my favourite of the recommendations. Um, there's some of the Harley Quinn stuff that I really like and, um, in fact, I liked them all to varying degrees but I think probably you can tell from how I've spoken about them. Um, <laughs> That, you know what those varying degrees were and what issues I had with with each of them um, but yeah I, I thought the Catwoman stuff was really fantastic and I would like to read on further with that um, and you know after this I think I've read about 350 pages worth in total between the graphic novel and the backup strips and the nine issues so um, yeah I've I've got myself an, uh, off to um, a not inconsiderable start with Catwoman um, and uh, yeah, I would um, highly recommend that um, of all of these comics. Um, but that is it for this week's show. So that was our first ever Megasode. Hopefully you're all still listening. Um, a lot of comics and a lot of news to talk about. And I think it will be a long time before we'll need to do a Megasode again. So uh, hopefully you enjoyed this, this little one-off um, mega episode of the mini episodes. But yep, that is it for this week. Don't forget that the next episode of Cinematic Universe will be focused on Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. I can't wait. I think I'm even going to re-watch it before we do the podcast again. Um, if you're enjoying the show, then please do subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review, or support us at patreon.com forward slash cinematic universe. You can find more episodes of the show at cinematicmultiverse.com. You can get in touch via Facebook, on Twitter, at CU underscore podcast, or send us an email to cinematicuniversepod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen.